Welcome to the CLB Forge podcast, brought to you by CLB North American Mission. This is the show to help equip you and your church for mission, ministry, and multiplying disciples. Welcome to episode 63. I'm Mike Natal. And I'm Dan Stenberg, and we're your hosts today. We're talking with Ryan Nielsen for another Church on Track episode. Today, we're in the middle of our latest Church on Track series. In the past, we've done a series about things that get your church off track. This series is all about the positive incremental shifts that you can make to get your church back on track or to keep it on track. Here's the seven shifts that we've already covered or we're planning on covering. So the first one is uh, changing from a or shifting from a social club to a missionary outpost. Number two is shifting from gathered to sent. Three, from evangelist to missionary. Four, doing and equipping, which is today's topic. Uh, Number five, from committees to teams. Six, from unspoken to written. And seven, from internal to external. So today we're talking about making a shift from doing to equipping. Ryan, what do you mean by these terms? Well, basically two concepts about the ways that we're carrying out ministry and doing by that, I mean that you are the one carrying out or executing something yourself. And by equipping, I mean that you are setting up someone, training them, preparing them, empowering them to do ministry. And so in one, you are carrying out the ministry or the action. And in the other, you are helping someone else to do that. And nothing embodies that better than our next portion, actually. Because, Ryan, you put together two biblical examples of this. However, you equipped both myself (laughs) and Daniel to share these two examples. And so you're literally embodying what we're trying to do today. I didn't even think about that. How meta. Wow. How meta, dude. This is so great. All right, so um, one of the biblical examples that I'm going to share, and then Daniel's going to share the other. So the first one is found in the book of Exodus, and I'll be honest with you. um, A lot of times people look at pastors and say, oh, you like, you know, everything that goes on in the Bible, right? Like you, you read the whole Bible, you, you know, everything about it. And so you can navigate it flawlessly. And this passage (laughs) in Exodus, yeah, thank you for laughing at that. uh, This passage, I, I guess full transparency that's not the case Uh, i pray that every pastor has read their bible in its entirety whether they remember it or not that's a different story but this is one of those passages that i had completely forgotten about until i taught a bible study through the book of exodus and as i got to this passage my mind was blown The passage that I'm talking about is Exodus 18, and it's verses 13 through 27. So I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it, and then I'll read a little bit and then paraphrase it again. So um, this is a portion in which Moses has been appointed to listen to everybody's problems and essentially solve people's problems for them. If they had an altercation or a situation that uh, arose that they were in disagreement with each other, they would go in front of Moses and they would put their, I I was going to say complaint, but like maybe it's not a complaint, but they would put their situation and their problem in front of Moses and Moses would decide what would be the best course of action forward. 
So as Moses is doing this, his father-in-law comes in and his father-in-law's name is Jethro and Jethro comes in and Moses is hard at work. And in verse 17, it says this, Moses's father-in-law replied, what are you, what you're doing here is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And guys, if you're a pastor who's experiencing burnout or perhaps an elder who feels like you're you're doing so many things, I would encourage you to pause and to read verse 17 and 18 over and over to yourself. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And so then Jethro goes on to explain to Moses that he needs to delegate out some of these assignments. And in the realm of delegating, he also needs to train up officials so that they can rule and and make their judgment calls appropriately in a similar fashion to the way that Moses does himself. And I love that passage because it is an encouragement to disciple and also to share the workload with multiple people, which is so important. And it's exactly what we are going to be discussing today. And then the second text that we'll be looking at is, is one that's probably a little more well-known than, than the one uh, with Jethro and, and Moses there in, uh, in Exodus. But we'll be looking at Acts. In, in Acts chapter 6, we have all the apostles are basically doing all of the different elements of the ministries of the church, and it's just too much. Like, they're just not able to keep up with the, the outgoing stuff, like the they're the apostles, man. They want to be get out there. They want to be preaching the word. That's, that's what their job is supposed to be. They're taking care of the tithing. They're taking care of the widows. They're taking care of food. Like they're taking care of all of the little nitty gritty details of the ministry. And that's not their role. That's not their job. And so uh, they get together and they say, uh, it would be not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. They're recognizing that there are different roles to be played in ministry, and one hat isn't going to fit all of those different roles. And so they say, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you. So they're telling the church, they're saying, hey, church, you need to figure out some of this stuff. We're going to give you some authority to figure out like what this is going to be. We're going to take our hands off of it. This isn't for us anymore. But you choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So they are recognizing the roles that they need to play and they are recognizing the needs that need to be filled that they don't need to fill. And they ask the church to raise up people to fill those positions so that they can get back to doing what they're supposed to be doing, what they're called to be doing, what God commissioned them to be doing. Now, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with feeding the, the hungry, right? Like, that's, that's not what they're trying to communicate here. They're not trying to say that those ministries aren't important. What they're saying is that it's crazy to have just a few people doing every one of the ministries, and it's important for those things to be delegated out. So here are five ways that we can make the shift from doing to equipping. And the first one is delegate, to delegate ministry. Where are you going with that one? Yeah, thanks, Dan and Mike. Thanks for sharing those stories. You know, both of those texts show us examples of people, of people in leadership roles giving away authority. Uh, some of the things we're going to be talking about now in our, our five ways we can make that shift. And um, what I think is like really remarkable thinking about both those occasions, they are reorganizing 
you know, Moses is reorganizing his people's government and the apostles are reorganizing the church. And in both cases, for the first time ever, it never been done like that before. And it was a, it was a totally new way of leading and, and managing the church in one case and the people of Israel in another. And I, I, I just think that's encouraging for us to remember that there are going to be times where equipping others means we're going to be doing things that people haven't ever done before. So our first one here is about delegating ministry, um, helping others to do ministry. This is hard if you're a pastor or a church leader. You may really struggle with this because a lot of us get our validity from what we do. We find validation in the things that we do. I remember um, I was back in our office uh, headquarters. I'm a remote worker. I was back in the office in, in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, and was in the bathroom and I noticed the paper towel roll uh, was empty and I went and found where the supply closet was and the key and I didn't really, I kind of had to guess where all that stuff was and I replaced the roll of paper towels and I thought that was like the, that I, I was like so pumped that I had done that. It just reminded me like it's not my job and you know my, my job is very much about equipping others but even in that moment, even with paper towels, it was like remarkable how excited I got about doing something. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we, we kind of carry that attitude with a lot, in a lot of things. So as pastors, we may be really excited about feeling good about having gone to visit someone in the hospital, but it might be more important for us to have built up a care team so that there are eight people in our church that are going and making visits to people in the hospital or people in nursing homes and things like that. And it's hard for us because when we do, we see the results immediately. Like we're with that person that we're visiting or the paper towels are in the dispenser. <laughs> um, sometimes we're really robbed of that kind of firsthand visual of having accomplished something. Mm -hmm. But in Ephesians 4, we see very clearly that Jesus set up the church and, and, and gave leadership gifts to people like pastors and teachers and evangelists and apostles and prophets, that those leadership roles were set up to equip people for doing ministry. Anything that someone else can do that you don't have to do as a pastor or elder or, or, or ministry leader, it can really be powerful to give that away, to delegate that that action to somebody else. And, and actually think about how much validity you feel in doing it. You are giving a gift of, of a sense of belonging when you let someone else do those kinds of things. So next time that you have Ryan over your house, your best case scenario is not preparing anything, making sure there's no toilet paper, no way of him taking a shower, uh, no sheets on the bed. Um, what else? Don't cook him any meals. Um, oh, I regret sharing that example. And uh, you will make his day and don't even tell him how, where or how to get those things <laughs> himself. Make him figure them out. Okay, that was a bad example. Your point is taken, sir. I think that there's two different like even ways to look at the delegation of ministry. Like, so if, like for myself, it's not even necessarily that I always want to see the validation of, of it having happened, but I have a certain set of expectations oh, that I have. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, I instituted this new thing. This is the standard that I have for this, 
And I want to make sure that it continually meets that standard. And that's something I have to let go of. Now, I know there are people in my life that will yeah. be like, oh, it's nice to hear you say that, Daniel, because you never let go of those things. And they're not wrong. Like, it's not an easy <laughs> thing for me to do. Like, I'm very bad at letting go of those things. But I have to start to do that because my ministry is more than just these little pet things that I've created. And I think that the other side of that is that it's good not just for our pastors to hear this, but also for our churches to understand that this is something that it's important for our pastors to do. Because there is this, there becomes this thing where it's like, oh, but that's the pastor, that's his job, that's what he has to do. And so if there's anything involved in the ministry of our church, well, that's the pastor's area because he's the one that's leading the church. And to recognize that, no, as a member of the church, I'm actually someone that can be delegated to. And and there's there's a there's a Definitely, I think a very important element of this whole delegation thing that, that we need to recognize. One, there's a lot of reasons for a pastor to delegate, and there's a lot of reasons for us to not want to delegate. And there's also the element of the church recognizing that they are someone to be delegated to, that this church, that this ministry is also theirs. This church is, is theirs. They're a part of it. And so the ministries of the church also include them. And we may not always want to hear that, right? Like it's easy to have someone else do it. But maybe God's calling us to that too. And dare I say that yeah. in some aspects of that, Daniel, that you're better than the pastor at doing certain things. Like Amen. I'm, I'm totally, Amen. I'm totally fine with admitting that that there are certain things that I am not good at, and to have people surrounding me who are better than I am at certain things—that's what ministry is all about, man. That's what oh, it's, it's about. Fantastic. And it's so fun to see all that happen, right? Like, it's so fun yeah. to see some of those things come into place where you're like, I kind of had this idea. And then someone steps up and is like, yeah, and I know how to do that awesome. And you're like, hallelujah. Yep. Like, it's fun to see the church work as the body, Agreed. right? Like I'm, yeah. I'm not a very good hand. And then someone comes along and is like, I'm a fantastic hand. And I'm like, I'm so thankful that God put you in my church. <laughs> and we all have hands and feet in our church, right? I'm a good big toe. Yeah. That's what I got going for yeah, me. Yeah, buddy. A good big toe. <laughs> Keep that balance going, yeah. right? Like we're That's we're right. rocking this. You guys make a couple great points about delegation, and uh, it brings to mind a couple of things. One is there's this kind of rule of thumb of seventy five percent. If someone can do something seventy five percent as well as you, you should probably delegate it to them, so that you're not expecting them to do it as well as you, but you know somewhat close. And also, delegation is a lot of work. There are a lot of things that are just easier to do ourselves, um, at least initially. There is some work that you have to do when you're delegating up front. So a couple a couple of things you need, you need to be clear with what you're asking the person to do, when, when they need to do it or when it needs to be completed by, um, how to do it. And that could include some guidelines or training. And you also need to do follow-up too to make sure it got done. So all of that's involved in delegation. It's, it's actually a lot of work. Like if you're preparing someone to preach, if you're teaching a layperson to preach, you know all the work that goes into learning how to preach, right? And we spend years learning it in seminary. It takes a lot of work to prepare someone. You, you got to spend time with them. In the end, your impact and influence are far greater, but up front, there's a lot more work involved. And so it's very tempting to just say, I'm not even going to bother. I'm just going to do it. Give a man a fish. You'll feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish. He'll eat for a lifetime. Bingo, bango. That's the end of the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next time. No, actually, we're but this is a good time where we can transition into our second shift. Uh, so we just left delegate ministry authority. Let's move into the next shift, which is delegate leadership decisions. This might be a tough one, man. 
Yeah, this this one is. Um, so this one's about uh, you know our first point we're talking about you know giving giving away ministry responsibilities, tasks, authority, uh, giving away the right to do ministry to other people. This one is about handing off decisions. And what I what I think happens a lot in churches is that leadership decisions often can get kind of backed up way up the chain so that people at the top of the kind of leadership organization chart are making decisions that should be made way below them. I think a lot of the day-to-day decisions that should be happening in a church should be happening amongst uh, ministry teams and amongst ministry leaders. But uh, they might be expected to hand off that decision to the pastor, or the pastor might be hand- expected to hand that off to the elder board, or the elder board might not be allowed to uh, say something, and and the congregation expects to be able to vote on that. So at the you know, at the highest levels of leadership, you can waste your time making decisions that really shouldn't be yours to make in the first place. And so if you've ever been in an elder meeting where you spend you know thirty minutes talking about the uh, you know a page on the website or changing the locks on the doors or when a small group is going to start meeting that's a sign that that the leadership decisions need to be delegated down one or more levels of responsibility yeah i mean how many of us have had the situation where you know we're doing a barbecue and it's like well what kind of meat should we have the pastor doesn't have to make that decision. Like, there's certain leadership elements that we shouldn't be making those kind of decisions. The people are there are other people in our congregation that can make that decision probably way better than I can, and and they should be able to do that. And it's just important to to be able to recognize that it's okay to hand some of those things off, and to encourage the handing of that off. Yeah. Another example I think of is um, when I was a pastor, uh, one of the churches I was serving in. You know, anytime there's an outside building request, we would bring it up like often at elder board meetings or if someone's asking to use the building. And then we realized we don't need to we don't need to do that. We can entrust that kind of a decision proving outside groups using the building. We can we can delegate that. And so then then I was making those decisions, you know, and, and only bringing, you know, really exceptionally confusing or challenging ones to the board. And then I realized I don't need to be making these decisions. And in fact, a better person to be making them is our office manager. And so we delegated that to our office manager. And so she, who's most aware of how the building is being used and when it's available, when it's not, when something could be a potential conflict, we gave her the authority to make those decisions. And if she needs to consult with me or the elders, we're absolutely available. But it became normal for her to to make those decisions, you know? And so we were taking up, we went from taking up board meeting time to authorizing a specific team member to make those decisions. And it's not just us doing these things, but it's scriptural too. Going back to that Exodus 18 passage, verse 25 talks about, it says, Moses chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people officers uh, or officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. And now here's the important part. It says the difficult cases were brought to Moses, but the simpler Mm -hmm. ones, they were decided by themselves. That's exactly what we're talking about. Mic drop. Yeah, that's good. Beautiful. 
Now, this may feel counterintuitive, and I think what can happen a lot is we are, without knowing it, we're, we're afraid of letting other people make decisions because we're worried we're going to take away from our own influence. If you're a pastor, you may be nervous about letting a, a layperson make some decisions about something, giving away control or authority. But in fact, what happens is the opposite. It doesn't uh, lessen your influence or impact. It actually grows it. It expands your influence, and it doesn't take away from your leadership impact in the church. It expands on it because you've demonstrated trust and confidence in someone that you're raising up as a leader, and that just has such like just tremendous, uh, such a tremendously positive impact on the leadership culture in your church. Whereas, if you're never letting other people make decisions. People don't feel like they are even able to make a difference. They don't feel like their opinion matters or they're they're really making an impact. They just feel like servant drones going, you know, carrying out the bidding of others. And that's so demotivating. And and so a big part of again that empowering the people around us brings us into step number three, right? And that is to disciple others. So we're what, what what are we what are we doing when we're discipling there, Ryan? Where where are you going with that? Yeah, and this one's kind of a, a lot of these are about leadership. This one this one's really about spiritual formation. Just a reminder that all of us in leadership should be actively discipling other people, whether that's in a small group or a what they call a discipleship group or one on one mentoring. That that should be a part of your ministry. That you are training someone in the faith. That that is a, a key part of how you stay healthy as a disciple. But it also has just a, a tremendous impact on the church. One of the ways I've found that, like within the discipling, is is you can go through some of the the nuts and bolts of the ministry, the how tos, whether it's working the soundboard or maybe some of those like decisions, some of those things that you need to hand off. Working alongside someone in that can also be part of like this is how I deal with this. This is how I'm going through these processes. And in that, you can have some of that spiritual discipling as well, right? Where you're, you're building it up, you're getting to know each other. They're getting to to know who you are more. You're getting to to impress uh, upon them your priorities, why you're doing the things that you're doing, and all of that really ends up coming back uh, to a scriptural basis anyway. And so, being able to to disciple others. In, in, in spiritual discipleship, while taking care of some of the nuts and bolts and stuff, uh, I think is, is a very valuable uh, form of, of discipleship, a form of encouraging and enhancing your ministry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the things you see in uh, long-term pastoral ministry is that the pastors wind up generally in a longer-term pastorate. They will disciple more people, and one of the results is you'll see a big uh, like outflux of people going into vocational ministry. And so you wind up with missionaries and pastors and people working on church staffs. It's only one facet of discipleship. And I think another way you see it is churches with elders having been trained and mentored and raised up. And, you know, sometimes what can happen is there's a leadership deficit. And I think, you know, where there's no no one to replace the elders and that can be a side can be a side effect, not the only cause, but it can be a side effect of, of not having discipled other people, over the long haul. Yeah. So how easy is discipling? Like, is this is this a simple <laughs> process? <laughs> oh, oh man. Yeah. Oh man, it is not right. We all know that it's not easy, and there's there's many different ways to do it. But in, in some ways, it is very simple and beautiful, right? It is it is training others in what what you've been taught. 
And, um, you know, we, we see Paul telling Timothy, I think in second Timothy two, right. What you, what's been entrusted to you, you go and teach others who will then go and teach it to others. And that's, that's just a, a part of our calling as Christians. Um, as pastors, we're going to teach you spiritually, but we're going to, we're going to teach you and train you spiritually. But then also with once, when you've done that, you will go and also do that for others. So it's not like you always have to come back to the clergy. Only the pastors can do this kind of spiritual formation. This is something we're all called to. So just a quick recap. We're talking about uh, delegating ministry authority, delegating leadership decisions, and um, discipling others. Then we come to our fourth point, which is hiring staff to lead teams, not to execute. So we're encouraging us to hire people who are going to establish a team instead of kill the team. Is that what we're talking about here? Like chopping off their head? Yeah. That's what we're doing here. So we want people to not guillotine people. We want people to formulate teams and work together in a productive, healthy manner. Yeah. And hopefully not killing people is an unwritten assumption that we don't (laughs) have to put into any, you know, job descriptions, but yeah. Um, this is something that I think is important, whether it's whether you're getting ready to call a pastor or uh, a children's ministry worker or a youth pastor, whatever it might be, uh, even even a worship leader that you're hiring when you when you are calling people. And, and this could also apply to volunteers that are going to be leading a ministry that you are looking for people, not just who can do well in that area of ministry, but that are able to lead a team that you want them to be focused on equipping other people and not on what we would call executing or carrying out themselves, not on doing, but on equipping. You hire people to equip. Oh, so that's the word for execute, like doing. Yes. Got it. Okay. My bad. Sorry. Yeah. And it's been, as an example, uh, so the church I attend, I I go to uh, a church called Bethany in uh, Northwest Connecticut, and we just called we're, we're getting ready to help plant a church in Boston, and we called a pastor named uh, Christian Anderson. And for his pre-launch residency, he's serving at Bethany for about a year and a half in a pre-launch residency while he's getting ready to go out as a church planter. And while he's doing that, he's serving as an executive pastor. And this is one of the big things he's been working on is we, we, um, we've been working on making some organizational changes within the church. And one of the one of the shifts he's making is this this one here. He's got a really keen eye for it, where he's he's focused on helping staff members and ministry leaders to see that their biggest impact isn't in what they do, but but who they are equipping, and is helping them turn their focus onto leading others in serving effectively, not just on they themselves doing everything on their own. I, th- I think a great example of this from my own life is is in youth ministry. I uh, served in a church when I was in seminary. I worked I worked at a church in the Midwest, and we had a really big youth ministry. And uh, there were dozens and dozens of kids, and there was no way that I could ever connect to them all as a youth director. But we had small group leaders, and they were able to meet with like I would do a teaching time with everybody, and then we and we break into small groups. And the small group leaders would connect relationally with the students and with a group of six, seven, eight students, they could really get to know them, 
discuss what we've been taught, hear what's going on in their lives. We would we would structure a lot of our the other parts of our ministry around letting those small group leaders have time with their students. And a big part of my job was making sure it wasn't just about me and my relationship with the students, but a big part of my job was to make sure that I had equipped the leaders with the information they needed so that they knew what was happening, they knew what the schedule was, they knew what the teaching topic was, that I had given them some discussion questions to work with. So I set them up to successfully connect with the students. That was the structure that was given to me and provided for me. I did not come up with that. But man, I, I just that has has stayed with me throughout my ministry, how impactful that is to work that way. So look for team leaders and staff members, pastors and associates and whatever it might be that are able and willing to invest in others who are going to do ministry. So basically what we're asking is to really get one and two and even three down, right? Because if we're modeling delegating ministry, if we're modeling delegating leadership decisions, if we're modeling discipling others, then as we're hiring people, we're letting them see that this is what we want them to do as well, right? We're not hiring you to be the only one that has anything to do with this aspect of our ministry. And so it's important for us to have those first three down so that as we are bringing people into more leadership, as we are bringing people into those positions, we're showing them this is something we value. And it's important, again, for our church to see that. I mean, I remember being a youth leader and coming in and feeling like I had to justify my paycheck and trying to do all of the things, right? Like doing everything because I was just really concerned that people would think that I was a slacker or I wasn't doing my job right or I wasn't able to, to meet all of the expectations that other people had for me. And so if I had been in, you know, it, I think it's just important for us to recognize that as we are bringing people in, we are also modeling the equipping as we are asking them to equip in those situations. And I hope you enjoyed the train going by behind me. I, I have no ability to control that. So it's just a ima- Imagine that sucker at like 3 a.m., man. train schedule? Oh, you can I hear don't. That in the middle I really of the night. don't. Oh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I think they send more through the middle of the night. So whenever you guys want to like go to New York City, anybody listening, you want to you go to the city, we're pretty close. But just recognize that when you're sleeping in my basement, that is something you will have to adapt to in in the meantime boy if only we knew somebody who loves sleeping in basements <laughs> oh man all right oh, mike mike's gonna be your next house guest i've get come ready. on down buddy Colin, your awesome. kids your kids will not sleep a wink that night i'm just gonna be crazy uncle mike that sounds awesome so let's <laughs> yeah. do that let's do so, it so yeah yeah so we've we've been hiring we, we hire our staff uh, to lead teams, not just to be the only ones that are doing that aspect of the mission. And so that's bringing people on. That's onboarding individuals in ministry. The fifth step that we have is to prepare people for your absence. So that may be like, you know, I've I've got to go on vacation. Are things going to function in the way that that I would expect them, or we would hope them to? That the people in the congregation are expecting them to when I'm gone, or or what else could? What else do you mean by by absence? There, what, what, what do you mean by that, Ryan? This is something that really applies to both discipleship and leadership. And I, I heard somebody define discipleship once as preparing people for your absence. And I, I think that's a really powerful way to think about your role, both as a, a discipler and as a, a leader. And I, I think this can happen at every level. So help get the church ready for a time when you are gone. There's something that feels great about knowing, like, the church really needs you and things would fall apart if you weren't there. But really, that's not a good thing. Because if you were gone and things really did fall apart, so much of what you've been working towards, 
it just evaporates. And so really, even though that might feel good to think that way, it's really, it's not a great thing. And so you want to be, you want to be ready for the church that if you were gone, when, when you plan your time to depart, or if suddenly you became sick or you died or, you know, some kind of accident happened, that the church could carry on without you. That's a sign that you have carried out your, your work as a disciple maker and as a leader really well. And I think this can happen at every level in the church. And so if you're in a leadership role, you know, whether, whether you're leading a, a ministry team of five people or a ministry team of 40, or if you're on staff, if you're a pastor or an elder, keep an eye out for someone that you can bring alongside you, that can walk uh, alongside you and learn what you do. So I had a couple really f- uh, formative experiences. I grew up in a church plant and my pastor, Warren Garrity, he, he really mentored me a lot when I was in college. And he let me experience what it was like to teach adult Sunday school classes and to lead worship and to preach and even let me sit in on some elder meetings. You know, he saw a, a call to ministry in my life and he mentored me and invested in me and prepared me for that. And I had another experience like that when I worked at uh, Bethel in Fergus Falls and the, the pastors that led me did a really good job at mentoring me and letting me experience, have other, other leadership ministry experiences. So Dave Foss and, and Dave Viam were both in leadership above me, and they let me have other experiences in the church. And, you know, just, I'll never forget when Dave Viam, you know, asked me to, to preach at one of the worship services. And I had no business doing that. And I guarantee you, that was one of the worst sermons of the year. But man, did he really encourage me and build me up by giving me that opportunity. And I was a better better preacher for it, having had that experience. Um, you know, countless hundreds of people had to suffer through that message. But uh, <laughs> it was really, really special. Or even just a chance to lead staff devotions, to attend an elder meeting while I was going through seminary. Those were experiences that I had no right to by virtue of my own abilities or experience or credentials. But the people in leadership that did, they freely offered me chances to try out those roles and to see what it was like firsthand to do them. And it was huge. Another, another thought I have along these lines here is uh, part of this is knowing when it is time to be done. And, and uh, I think for those of us who are in leadership roles, it's really, it can be hard to know ourselves when it's time to be done. Pa- pastors, this can happen a lot where we tend to either leave too soon or stay too long. And, and those are the two pitfalls that we can fall into. We can get too discouraged and leave too quickly. As, as we've gained trust and acceptance in the congregation, it can be really tempting to stay too long because people love us. They're loyal to us. They were a, a, a part of their extended family. They don't want us to go, and we can miss knowing when our time of leadership impact has passed and it's time for us to to make an exit. So I know that all kinds of really godly pastors that have gone before me, that this is challenging for them, and I am no wiser or smarter than any of them. So I know when it comes time, that'll be hard for me too. And I just think it's good and humbling to keep that in mind that you need to be mindful of when it's time to be done. And you probably need the help of your friends, family, trusted counselors to tell you, to help you see when that time is in fact there. And kind of on those lines too, people that I've seen flourish long-term in, in churches, they serve in certain roles and then hand them off to someone else and get involved in something else. So they don't, 
sit on a certain ministry role for decades and decades and not let anyone else try it. They, they lead something, make it successful. They let someone else come in and and take it in a new direction and keep developing it. And then they themselves go find something else that fits with, with the gifts and skills that God's given them. That's a really healthy pattern to be in as a leader. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ryan, for sharing and uh, Daniel for your insight as well. Uh, we appreciate our listeners tuning in today as well. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you can get notifications the next time that one of them drops. And we'd love it if you could share the podcast with a friend or a colleague. We appreciate you so much in listening. We hope that you'll be a part of the podcast next time. I don't even know how to say the end of that now if I can't say see you later. Oh, catch you next time. Whoa, catch you next time, guys. Whoa. It was so great to be here with you. You know that that's all going into the podcast, right? Like, Lindsay is literally going to make sure that all (laughs) of this is going in. I think we all know, especially Dan knows that because he hasn't said. Like, when she posted the beatboxing thing for episode 50, like. That was hilarious. Forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Check you later, yo. This has been an episode of the CLB Forge podcast brought to you by CLB North American Mission. Thanks for listening. We welcome your questions and comments. Email us at podcast at clbforge.org.